Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has reportedly just signaled to Donald Trump's legal team that the former president could soon face indictment, which of course means they've got him now. That Trump, he thought he could escape the Acme anvil, but no, not this time. This time, District Attorney Wiley Coyote has totally got him. The walls are closing in. What's this one over? Is it Russia collusion? No. Is it Ukraine collusion? No. Is it an insurrection? No. No. Apparently, this potential indictment centers around President Trump's alleged hush money payments to Stormy Daniels in 2016. The libs have gone through so many crazy schemes to nail Trump that they're now on reruns. But if I were Trump, I would be thrilled at this news. Not because it's fun to be indicted. I'm sure it's extremely tedious and inconvenient. But because this potential indictment is an indication that Trump once again poses a threat to the Democrats. Back when it looked like Trump was the inevitable 2024 Republican nominee, Democrats did everything they could to destroy him. Raids, investigations, schemes to keep him off the ballot, and so on and so forth. Then, as Trump's political stock began to tank and Ron DeSantis started to jump up in the polls, the Democrats mostly laid off him. But now that his political fortunes have reversed again, Trump is back in the crosshairs. And as with all Wiley Coyote schemes, it looks like this one is poised to backfire too, because it creates a feedback loop. When Democrats fear Trump, they go overboard attacking him, which makes him look better to the Republican base, even to people who don't necessarily love everything about Trump. The more the Democrats attack him, the better he looks which makes the Democrats fear him more, which sends the Democrats overboard in attacking him, which makes him look better to the base, and on and on and on. We've got a lot to get to today. There is the the worst example of a trans mob coming after someone on TikTok that I have seen in at least a few days. You know, I've I've been paying attention to this issue pretty closely the last week or so. We've, We've got the most painful moment from the Oscars as well. Uh, first, though, I've got to uh, thank my wonderful friends. You want to talk about looking like a beautiful, shining celebrity? i got to thank my friends over at GenuCell. Right now, go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. People are absolutely raving about GenuCell skincare. Sherry from Omaha, Nebraska says, quote, I have sensitive skin and I'm careful about all products. My husband bought me GenuCell bags and puffiness and GenuCell deep firming serum I felt it working immediately. My eyes look amazing. My face feels smooth and wrinkle-free. It is not just Sherry. GenuCell has sold over 1 million products to both men and women. And I stress to men, because I know men are sometimes a little hesitant about cosmetic products. Frankly, men more frequently buy these products than women. Say goodbye to fine lines, wrinkles, even those annoying under eye bags. GenuCell will have you looking 5, 10, even 15 years younger, just in time for the warmer weather. Best of all, GenuCell guarantees results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. I insisted that I had to try this before I would endorse it. I totally trust GenuCell. Absolutely love these guys. The owner has a great story. He was a Coptic Christian, fled to America for the American dream. Works great. Try GenuCell's most popular package, 
for 70% off at GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Join millions of happy customers who have already fallen in love with the results. For a limited time, get GenuCell's probiotic extract infused moisturizer free with every most popular package. Subscribe and get a complimentary bonus box. GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Adam Kinzinger doesn't know very much about almost anything. He does know a lot about what happens when you attack Trump. And Adam Kinzinger, who is now, he was a former Republican congressman, then he was kind of a fake Republican like Liz Cheney, and now he's a fake Republican commentator on CNN. But his job is to provide liberal talking points from the perspective of a pseudo-Republican. So Adam Kinzinger goes on CNN. He did finally talk about the one issue that he has direct knowledge of and, and can speak about with great authority, and that is what happens when you try to attack Trump? If, in fact, he is charged with a crime, do you think he can still run for president? I think he absolutely will still run because he, he, I, actually it'll probably make him more popular within the GOP. I think this is a reality, whether it's this crime, maybe potentially even the January 6th, is look at what happened when he defeated impeachment the first time. Look at what happened... You know, frankly, when he wasn't even removed the second time, which he should have been, um, he actually gains popularity. He's able to he's so good at being a victim. Right. It's amazing that in this kind of culture that they have where it's supposed to be about strength and manhood, he's actually like the biggest victim ever. Um, But I think he will play the victim card in this probably will help him in the primary. And uh, short of being convicted of a felony, it's not going to stop it. It's not going to stop him running. I think he's right. It's the first time I think I've ever said that Adam Kinzinger was right, but this is something he knows a lot about because Kinzinger tried to go up against Trump. It did not work out very well for him. Kinzinger saw firsthand what Republicans and conservatives do when you attack Trump, especially when you attack Trump unfairly as the libs are doing. The evidence that this is unfair and preposterous is they haven't even come up with a new fake scandal to throw on him. They're going back to a scandal from 2016 and saying he slept with a porn star and paid her or something like that. So Kinzinger says, if the libs indict him, it will make Trump more popular. Why is that? The reason that that is the case is you can judge a man by his enemies. And Trump's enemies are the crooked Democrat prosecutors and the crooked liberal establishment and the crooked liberal news media and all the rest of it. If Trump were being indicted by a highly credible authority, if people still had faith in the Justice Department, if people still had faith in these prosecutors, if people still had faith in the media to investigate as the fourth estate, then an indictment would hurt Trump. But we're not living in that period right now. I've been talking all this past week because I happened to have been the target of libel and slander and defamation from the media and all the way up to the White House this past week. So we were able to see this in real time happen. But that's just one example. I just That just happened to have happened to me last week. It happens to top Republicans constantly. If you are posing any threat to the liberal establishment, the press and the White House and the Justice Department, which is a two-tiered system, as even former uh, federal officials have admitted now, they will all go after you. And so in the face of that, it, the, the ordinary people are looking, they're saying, oh, they really don't want Trump to be president? Well, I guess he's our guy. 
obviously it will help him. And the numbers are reflecting that. Trump is looking pretty good right now. Uh, Trump has a double-digit lead in Pennsylvania, according to a recent public policy polling survey. Trump has a a double-digit lead with 49% support. DeSantis expectedly comes in second, uh, all the way down, though, with 31% support. Pence and Haley are tied with 5% each, and another 10% said they don't know who they would vote for. So if you take out the other candidates, you just make it Trump versus Pence. In Pennsylvania, it tightens up quite a lot, but Trump still has it 48 to 40. 13% remain undecided. So DeSantis is far from out of this thing. He could still pretty easily win the GOP nomination. I don't want to say easily, but it's, it's certainly plausible that, that DeSantis could win the GOP nomination. But in order for him to do that, he's got to recover some of his COVID magic. The reason it's going to be a little bit of an uphill slog is because DeSantis exploded in the conservative imagination during COVID because of his handling of COVID in Florida. So because memory in politics lasts for about the, the memory of a fruit fly, the further and further back COVID gets, the less shiny and special DeSantis looks and the more people will return to thinking that Trump is great. You're seeing this reflected in the polls. So how does DeSantis do that? One issue that could do that is this transgender issue because Ron DeSantis has been great on this. He says, we're not going to let you guys trans our kids. We're going to ban books in schools. I know we're not supposed to say that DeSantis banned books in schools, but he made it easier for conservatives in schools to ban books. And that's a good thing. It is good to ban gay porn from schools. Okay, guys, I, I don't, I know that there's been this weird fetishization on the right with total free speech and no standards at all. And we never ban books. You should ban some books. It is good to ban certain books in certain places. Gay porn in elementary schools, that would be a good example of books that are worth banning. And Ron DeSantis has made that easier to do. Ron DeSantis has published, has punished rather, Disney. Disney wants to trans the kids. DeSantis says, okay, well, we're going to take away all your special privileges in Florida. That's good stuff. That will help DeSantis. Now, one problem with DeSantis' strategy that opens him up to some criticism is that the way he's fighting the trans issue is by arguing around the edges. The libs want to trans the five-year-old, and and DeSantis says, wait till eight. We're not going to trans the kindergartners. You have to wait till fourth grade to start teaching them about transgenderism. That's not a criticism of Ron DeSantis. His hands are somewhat tied here. Because as a result of the Bostock decision from the Supreme Court back in 2020, the Supreme Court redefined civil rights protections for sex as civil rights protections on the basis of gender identity. So at at my CPAC speech, I said, we need to stop fighting on the left's terms here. We need to stop accepting the premise that transgenderism is all well and good for adults totally fine, totally reasonable, totally acceptable, but we just, it's just inappropriate for eight-year-olds. We need to wait till they turn nine or 10 or something. No, that's, that's a losing strategy because then we're just going to be arguing, okay, is it, should we trans the two-year-olds or the three-year-olds? Should we trans the newborns or the one-year-olds? It's, we're only moving in the left's direction on that if we accept the premise that transgenderism is a valid and true anthropology, which it is not. Uh, However, Ron DeSantis can't do very much about that as a governor because the Bostock decision is the law of the land, because transgenderism has been enshrined in in federal law now. It's being pushed by the White House. So DeSantis has to try to keep the magic up somehow. And I agree with him and with a lot of Republicans that that issue is a really important one because it represents 
so much of the political debate, far beyond a man who thinks that he's a woman. But DeSantis, as governor, has the advantage of actually doing things, which is something that Trump doesn't have. But DeSantis doesn't have that federal stage, that federal perspective. And so he's got to figure out how to, how to, how to seem more ambitious with his plans than he's allowed to do as governor of Florida. But we, we know where the libs are going on this. We know that the libs think they've won the trans debate. That's why they blew their gasket and started libeling me all week, is because I said, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to grant that you've won that debate. We know the libs have moved on from, is transgenderism real or not, all the way to, are we going to trans the kids? And in fact, it's not just the fringe Democrats who are saying that, it's Joe Biden himself. Joe Biden, who just gave an interview and said that if we don't trans the kids, if we refuse to to chop off the genitals of little kids and pump them full of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, why, if, if we don't do that, we're basically committing a sin. Transgender kids is a really harder thing. What's going on in Florida is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. I mean, what, 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 what are they thinking about here? They're human beings. They love, they have feelings, they have inclinations that are, I mean, it, it just to me is, I don't know, it's cruel. And the way we do it is we make sure we pass legislation like we passed on same-sex marriage. You mess with that, you're breaking the law, and you're gonna be held accountable. All right, now can you imagine these trans kids? If we don't, if we don't chop off the genitals of little kids, it's close to sinful, man. Come on, Jack. Hey, come on there, corn pop. According to what moral framework is it sinful not to castrate children? What moral framework is he talking about? Joe Biden pretends to be Catholic. The Catholic Church is very clear on this. Sex is immutable. Okay, sex is a, uh, an inseparable accident of the individual, to use the technical term. The sex you're born with is the sex that you're going to have as long as you exist. In the beginning, God created man, both male and female created he them. That's the Catholic view. And so it's always wrong to trans anybody because it's just based on a false anthropology. So obviously Biden's not referring to that moral. What's he referring to? He's referring to the moral, immoral framework of liberalism, but it views itself as a moral framework. And that moral framework is, hey, if you want to do something and it's not really hurting anybody else, then just do it even though we live in society, so all of our actions will affect other people in some way to a more or less direct degree. He's saying, yeah, look, the liberal moral framework, if you want to do something and we, it seems relatively uh, personal and it doesn't seem to affect too many other people, then just go ahead and do it. So it's a, it's a moral framework to undermine moral frameworks. It's saying, don't judge. We can't know what's right and what's wrong. Do whatever you want as long as you consent. Two problems with that. One, obviously children can't consent. And then two, when Biden says it's close to sinful. Because if you're saying it's close to sinful, you're referring to an objective moral order. So you can't escape that. There's no escaping moral discourse. The liberals pretend they can escape moral discourse through the language of freedom and consent. But you can't. It always comes down to 
Well, and if you don't allow someone to do whatever they choose to do between consenting people, then you're violating human rights. Well, okay, if we're talking about human rights now, we're talking about a, 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 an arbiter of morality that is beyond mere consent. So there's, there is no escaping that. How did we get here? This is the consequence of grounding society on inclination rather than objective standards. Previously, I don't know, 100, 200 years ago and earlier, we grounded society on people's actions. So we said that the morality or immorality of an action hinged on the action. Starting in the 19th century into now the the present, we tend to view these issues not as sinful actions or virtuous actions, but we, we tend to ground society on inclination, on psychology, on subjective feeling. So you even think about the way we talk about sexual ethics. It used to be that an an action was good or bad, depending on the action. (laughs) You can't do this with this kind of person. You can't put this thing there. You can't can't cheat on your wife. You can't have sex outside of marriage. But now we view it simply as, well, how does it make you feel? If you feel really good about having sex outside of marriage and your partner feels really good, then that's moral. But if one of you starts to feel bad about it, even after the fact, then it's immoral. And that's how you get a lot of the Me Too movement. And so it, it, it just turns your society from one which is grounded on a strong foundation into one that is grounded on quicksand. Because everything is subjective. Everything is relative. Everything is constantly changing. So if we acknowledge that moral discourse is inevitable, if even Joe Biden, while he's extolling the most liberal of liberal crazy ideas that we should trans the kids, if even he has to have recourse to moral language, saying it's close to sinful, then that means we're obviously always going to be talking about morality. So if we're going to make policy based on morality, shouldn't we base it on true morality instead of this weird, made-up, liberal, gobbledygook, constantly changing pseudo-moral order? Shouldn't we just say, okay, we know some things are good. We know some things are bad. We know that men can't become women. We know women can't become men. We know it's disordered to chop off your healthy body parts. And so, no, you don't get to do it even if you really want to, even if you have a disordered desire or a, a disordered inclination, it's a fallen world. Everybody's got something a little broken about them, but we're going to say no. We're going to ground society on objective truth, not on the ever-changing feelings of people who, as they indulge those feelings, become more and more disordered, and society becomes more and more disordered and chaotic. That would just be my suggestion. But speaking of these trans debates, I have got a trans debate Coming up, I'll be debating the issue of transgenderism at the University of Pittsburgh. Ever since my CPAC speech, there have been all of these internet people, all of these sort of two-bit YouTube streamer types, these liberals who want to get more clicks and followers. And so they say, I challenge you to a debate. I want to debate transgenderism or the eradication of transgender ideology or whatever. And I... uh, haven't had time even to read all of these debate challenges. But part of the reason that I haven't really looked at them is because I already had a debate on the books with a very, very serious scholar, someone who goes by the name of Deirdre McCloskey. That's his new name. He's a male professor. He used to go by Donald McCloskey, but he's a uh, very prominent professor. He is, uh, he's got three degrees from Harvard, six honorary doctorates, dozens of academic publications. He's taught across multiple, uh, multiple academic disciplines, and he 
identifies as transgender. So we're having this debate. It's being hosted by the Intercollegiate Studies Institute. And the UPIT students are apparently a little bit upset. There's outrage from students, members of the trans community, and allies over a series of events scheduled at Pitt. Royce Jones joins us now with what these events are and what some students are doing in hopes of stopping them. Royce. Yeah, Ken, these events are scheduled to happen between March and April. They're being hosted by conservative student groups and clubs on campus with topics reportedly ranging from trans women in sports to a literal debate about transness, period. Can you imagine? A literal debate about whether men can magically become women simply by thinking that they are. Isn't it? Can you imagine we're going to debate that? You know that thing that nobody, like nobody on earth believed seven or eight years ago that now everybody is forced to pretend to believe? There's going to be a debate. Uh, there's going to be a debate about whether or not that's true. Isn't that crazy? That's just crazy. I don't, I don't think it's that crazy. I think makes perfect sense. And so I'm really pleased because my debate partner is a very, very intelligent person, a generally well-educated person, even though he was educated at that deplorable institution over in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And so I figured if we're going to have this debate, I don't want it to be with some two-bit YouTube streamer who doesn't know anything about anything. I want it to be the strongest argument for transgenderism you can possibly hear. Uh, that debate is scheduled as, as of now to go on at UPIT. The woke students are going to try to shut it down. And the irony, of course, is that by if they do succeed at shutting down this debate, it's not just that they'll be canceling me. They will be canceling one of the most prominent transgender scholars in the country. <laughs> so I hope it goes on. Uh, if, if you are in the area or might be in the area, I would encourage you to reserve a ticket now uh, while, while those are still available. And then hopefully I'll see you to debate transgenderism at Pittsburgh. My favorite comment yesterday, we're kind of moving things around in the show a little bit. I'm just feeling kind of loosey-goosey today. Uh, my favorite comment yesterday is from Elliot Berkeley, who said, when I was a kid, we bleeped curse words. Now we bleep true words. Tells you everything you need to know about society. And this was the thesis of my book, Speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is available to, to be ordered. There is never a debate between pure free speech and pure censorship. The debate is always about what are the standards going to be? What are the taboos going to be? What are we going to discourage? What are we going to censor? In the old society, in the old normal good society, we would censor obscenity. We would sometimes censor falsehood. Today, we censor virtue. We censor true statements. We censor plain facts about the world. And we encourage obscenity and falsehood and ugliness and all the rest of it. Does that make a lot of sense? I don't think so. And you're not, you're not going, there's not going to be any society that doesn't censor anything. So it's just what, what do you value? What is your taboo? I, for one, would prefer to censor the falsehood and the wickedness and the ugliness. That's me. Call me crazy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can think so clearly about that because I frequently get a good night's sleep. How does one get a good night's sleep? Well, with Helix Sleep, of course. Right now, go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles after a long day's work. Why, why would you sacrifice a good night's sleep with a terrible mattress? You need to check out Helix Mattress. Helix is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, even a mattress made just for kids. 
I have had my Helix mattress for almost three years now. I absolutely adore it. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? Why do you want to get into my mattress? Don't answer that question, all right? Get, get one for you. Get your own mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles right now. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Hurry on over. Helixsleep.com slash Knowles with Helix. Better sleep starts now. I want to get into a little bit of pop culture here. You know Jeffrey Marsh. Maybe you don't. If you don't know Jeffrey Marsh, I'm sorry that I'm the one who is going to introduce him to you. Jeffrey Marsh is a 45-year-old man. He's an internet celebrity type. And he identifies as some version of trans, pans, thank you ma'am, whatever it is. And that's disturbing enough. But the most disturbing part is that Jeffrey Marsh regularly targets his content at kids. Hi, kids. Hey, kids. I want to talk to the kids. Hi, kids. Hey, kids. (laughs) So, yeah, there's a lot of videos of them addressing kids. Now, the main video I want to talk about. Your parents screwed up. It's okay to say so. (laughs) That's why I made a Patreon. So you want to talk to kids whose parents have screwed up. Why? Why you want to talk to these particular kids? Why? That's why I made a Patreon. So that we could talk about it. So that we could connect in a way that has more privacy. So that we could talk to each other in a way that's a Uh, more open and stuff that we wouldn't share like in the comments of a video like this. I think you're worthy. Okay. So the, the woman there who you heard commenting on this very creepy overture to little children, uh, she is, I assume she's Muslim. She's wearing a hijab. I'm not going to say her name, because as a result of her objection to this 45-year-old man uh, soliciting private messages from little children, she objected to that. She has been the subject of a ton of not just angry comments, but threats, doxing. Uh, Some of the scariest kinds of threats you can possibly get from the trans mob on TikTok. Take a listen. So I just got an email saying um, pretty much a threat saying I know they know where I live. And what scares me the most is um, they have got my daughter's details on the email, like what time I leave to drop them to school pick them up and it's not a coincidence because both of my daughters they go to two different schools so they know they've given the school details and everything so um yeah my my daughters are involved now in this as some of you might know that my car was damaged in this whole thing um I was getting not very nice videos and now emails with a lot of details on that email. So I don't, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do anything. Put a pause right there. She, she's 
saying, okay, I got these emails, I had my car damaged, so it's not just idle threats. It seems like people are following through on these threats. It's not just against me. They know where my kids are. They're telling me where my kids are. And I, I can tell you, if you have ever in any public way contradicted the transgender ideology at all in a public way, you have received these kinds of emails. You've received these kinds of threats. And for some people, if you're a public figure with the backing of a big institution, then you have resources available to you. You have security resources available to you. You have legal resources available to you that will allow you to fight back against the mob. If you are simply a private citizen, you don't have any of that. I don't think this woman is rich Uncle Pennybags, okay? I think she is a regular person who is speaking out like regular normal people with common sense do against this evil ideology. And then when the mob comes after her, when this particular mob comes after her and threatens her and her kids and her stuff and her whole life, what choice does she have? What, what would it take for her to actually stand firm against that? When when these people are making clear that these are not merely idle threats. At Jeffrey Marsh, I've deleted everything, removed it. If you guys want to go ahead, go ahead, but please don't do, don't don't come to my house. Do You just get on with your life, I'll get on with mine. <laughs> you guys want me to say I'm sorry? Fine, I'm sorry. Please don't come at me, don't come to my house, don't, don't do anything with me. Because I'm just one person, one person. And specifically, four or five of you have uh, four or five of you have kind of done stuff. Like some of you have found old pictures of me <laughs> and uploaded it on TikTok without my hijab. So you guys have done that. So she, she goes on. We don't need to keep playing it. But they, So what have they done? They've threatened the kids. They've threatened the property. They seem to have made good on it. And then they find old pictures, old embarrassing pictures. And for her, it's not like they found a picture of her doing porn or anything like that. They just found a picture of her without her hijab. But in her religious tradition, this is a big deal. And they're, they're trying to humiliate her by presenting her in photos that are not sufficiently modest for how she wants to be presented. And it's all of these constant threats. And they broke her. They just broke her. And I think most people probably could get broken by this, especially with the kids stuff. Because when they come after your children and you have no, nothing to protect you, your first instinct is, well, I got to do anything I can to protect my kids, even if it means giving this human demon, Jeffrey Marsh, free reign to solicit private messages from children, private messages about really, really weird subjects that he doesn't want the public to know about. Okay, as he says himself, I'm not telling tales out of school. He's, he's acknowledging what he's having these kids talk about. This is demonic stuff, really demonic stuff. And I made this point. I got in trouble with our publicists over at Media Matters because I said that the, the attacks on man's sexual nature and sexual difference and complementarity are demonic. <laughs> and they are. They go back throughout all of history, throughout some of the earliest depictions of demons. Even one of the most prominent depictions 
of demons. It comes from an artist, Eliphas Levy, who is an occultist, uh, who did a depiction of Baphomet. If you just think, what's a demon look like? You're probably thinking of this picture. And this picture is of a weird goat head with horns, and then one arm looks like a man's arm, and then one arm looks like a woman's arm, and it's got breasts, a female upper body, then a male lower body. And it's a, it's a trans depiction. It's a depiction of a man and a woman kind of blended together in this grotesque way. And what's written on the arm, two words, solvate coagula, which means to break apart and to put back together. And this is a, a, a slogan that crops up frequently in the occult. Break everything down, put it back together in this really grotesque, weird, unnatural sort of way. It is no coincidence that these depictions are what we see in this highly, highly dangerous ideology. It is no coincidence that when you attack this ideology, I've gone after so many different leftist views, leftist uh, hobby horses, leftist ideologies, and you get pushback. If you defend the Second Amendment, you get pushback. If you if you put pushback on critical race theory, you, you get some angry people sending you messages. Nothing comes close to when you push back against the transgender agenda. The, the images that people send you, the threats that people make against you, it's exactly what that woman described. And it is demonic. The whole thing is demonic. And I, the libs kind of make fun of us when we, when we talk about spiritual realities. But I don't know why. They, they use spiritual language all the time. Even Joe Biden said it's close to sinful not to chop off a kid's genitals. It says it's close to sinful. You'll hear the libs all the time say, this is a violation of human rights. It's a violation of the human spirit. Come on. I'm going to send you good vibes, man. You know, let's all just kind of, you know, put out our thoughts into the universe, man. You know, they use all of this weird spiritual language. They just they just tend toward the occult and away from true religion, the traditional spiritual language that defines our civilization. So they'll make all kinds of pseudo-religious, pseudo-arguments about transgenderism. I mean, the whole idea of transgenderism is a pseudo-religious argument. It's the idea that your body has nothing to do with your real identity, that your real identity is something immaterial. Call it your soul. I don't know if they would want to use that language, but that's what they're talking about. They'll say your soul is who you really are. Your body is not who you really are. Your soul can be opposed to your body. And so when there's, a, when there's an apparent uh, conflict between your soul and your body, you should chop up your body, which is, they did that in the ancient world too, except they attributed it to demons in the ancient world, okay? And the, the whole idea is is false because the, the true relationship of the soul and the body is something called hylomorphism. And it's the idea that the soul is not gendered because if the soul were gendered, then male and female would be, men and women would be different species, which sometimes appears to be the case, but is not in fact the case. That the sexual difference is a, an inseparable accident of the individual. So it's, it's with us as long as we exist, but it, but it comes from the body. And uh, body and soul are not going to be pulled apart as long as we're walking around here on earth. If you want to really talk about it, the, the libs might say, well, that's all just pie in the sky, heady mumbo jumbo. That's all your religious gobbledygook. But you're engaging in all sorts of religious talk when you say that someone's true identity is a, a, 
female when their body and everything about them looks like they're male. You're engaging in a kind of religious talk too. It's just your religious talk doesn't make any sense. And our religious talk does make sense. And it's got the benefit of 2,000 years of theological debate and even further back, philosophical debate. Debate, going back to ancient Greece. So, so that's where it stands. And it's going to require a lot of courage to stand up against that. And it's going to require us coming together, not in this demonic way of breaking everything down and rejoining it in a grotesque manner, but of people uniting their rational minds, which can perceive that men and women are different, and our will and our courage and our virtues to come together and say no. Because if we stand alone on this issue, we're all going to end up like that poor woman and we're going to all be targeted and we're all going to back down. Speaking of transgenderism in public life and transing the kids, you know, it gets back to what Joe Biden was saying at the top. They're, they're not even arguing about transgenderism anymore. Now they're on to the kids. At the Oscars, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Swinert won the award for everything, everywhere, all at once. And the Daniels dedicated their speech to transing the kids. Oh my God. Thank you, sir. Uh, our, our fellow nominees, you guys are our heroes. This is weird. Um, uh, this, we want to dedicate this to the mommies, all the mommies of the world, to our moms. Uh, Specifically, my mom and dad, Ken and Becky, thank you for not squashing my creativity when I was making really disturbing horror films or really perverted comedy films or dressing in drag as a kid, which is a threat to nobody. Uh, And uh, yeah, thank you to everybody who worked on our movie. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that if a kid is going to be encouraged to pretend that he's the opposite sex. That's totally great. So says Daniel Scheinert, I'm told. I mispronounced his name, apparently. Right now, the libs are saying that it is a conspiracy theory to believe that the the liberals want to trans the kids. That's a crazy conspiracy theory. You can be suppressed on social media if you say that. And yet we hear it. We hear it from Oscar winners. We hear it from the president. Previously, they told us that the notion of transgenderism at all, there was a conspiracy theory. Oh, you think just because we redefine marriage pretty soon we're going to get transgenderism? That's a slippery slope, crazy fallacy, conspiracy theory. Which before that we were told, oh, you think just because you're going to normalize certain eccentric sexual practices that pretty soon we're going to redefine marriage? That's a crazy conspiracy theory. Before that we were told, oh, you think just because we accept feminism you're going to get the sexual revolution and all sorts of weird, crazy village people stuff all throughout society? No, that's a crazy conspiracy theory. But what do we know? What do we know, folks? We know the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth used to be three to six months. Now, I think maybe three to six days. Back in 2021, during a five-hour hearing before Congress, Mark Zuckerberg admitted he did not let his own kids use Facebook. That should be enough to make you think twice about letting your kids use any social media, but especially TikTok. And there's a new book out published by DW Books. It's written by Bethany Mandel and Carol Markowitz that drives this point home. It's called Stolen Youth, how radicals are erasing innocence and indoctrinating a generation. When I read this passage, I wanted to delete every social media app and throw my phone away. In fact, I already wanted to do that, but this this passage really drove it home. Quote, TikTok was the center of a 2021 Wall Street Journal investigation, which uncovered how the app targets users with content revolving around sex, drugs, eating disorders, and more, calling it an addiction machine. Investigators created 31 accounts registered to young teens and turned them loose to browse TikTok's For You feed, the highly personalized, never-ending feed curated by the algorithm. 
The article explained an analysis of the videos served to these accounts found that through its powerful algorithms, TikTok can quickly drive minors, among the biggest users of the app, into endless spools of content about sex and drugs. TikTok served one account registered as a 13-year-old at least 569 videos about drug use, references to cocaine and meth addiction, and promotional videos for online sales of drug products and paraphernalia. Hundreds of similar videos appeared in the feeds of the journal's other minor accounts. Remember, this is not an accident. This is by design. Radicals want your children sick and corrupted. The good news is you can fight back if you know how. Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation, comes out today. Order your copy on Amazon or wherever you get your books now. Speaking of the Oscars, really big historic news. I I can't believe we couldn't get to it yesterday. This should have been the top of the show, of course. Um, Michelle Yo-Yo has become the first person identifying as Asian to win the Oscar for Best Actress. I did not stumble. I did not misread that. This is a breaking according to NPR. Michelle Yeoh wins Oscar for Best Actress Making History as the first person who identifies as Asian to win the award. (laughs) Okay. Okay, fine. I guess we all just identify. We all are simply people who identify. None of us really is anything at all. Now, the reason they use this language, apparently, is that some other actress had already won. The first Asian actress had already won, but she didn't wear her ethnicity on her chest on a big sticker that she put on her forehead that said, I am Asian. So therefore, we now have to celebrate it again because an actress who identifies as Asian won it. Okay. This is a much deeper issue though. This is much deeper than racial identity politics, which is where most of the discussion is right now. This is an issue of epistemology, which keeps coming up because that's really what's at the heart of the transgender debate. That's why, and that's in large part why the transgender debate is so hot, why people care so much about it. It's not because of the handful of people who throughout history have had confusion about their sex and want to pretend to be the opposite sex. It's not even really about the much larger number of people who are catching on to this ideology for attention and as a social contagion. It's, it's about this question of epistemology. Can we really know anything at all? Are, can we know that, that an actress is Asian or is the best that we can ever know that someone identifies as Asian? Can we really know anything at all? The, for almost all of our civilization's history, we have believed that we can know things. And so we take that knowledge and we move on and we build on that knowledge. And then we build on more knowledge and we develop what has been Western civilization. The new idea is radical skepticism, which says we can really never know anything at all. You know, when you're a kid and you say to your friend, hey, what if the color that you think is blue, I, what if I see that color is green? Oh, man, what, can we know anything at all, man? You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you had that conversation as a kid. Maybe you had it over a bong when you were a sophomore in college. Either way, though, it expresses the same idiotic idea. We just can't really know anything at all. That's, that's what the transgender debate's about. 
Well, how do you know? How do you know that Bruce Jenner really isn't a woman? Can you, uh, and your, your answer might be, well, because every physical sign points to his being a man. And then the, the modern libs will say, well, yeah, but how, how, can, how do you know you can trust those signs? How do you know that th- those really signify anything at all? So what this becomes a debate over is not even just can you trust your faculties of perception. It even becomes a debate over, say, epistemological realism and nominalism. Are there really such things as man and woman and leftist ears tumbler and microphone? Or is there just kind of stuff? Are there just particulars? And when we try to broaden those out into categories, even the category of man, even the category of woman, even the category of Asian, that all kinds of breaks down. What is it? These are debates that are not new exactly. They've cropped up in the history of civilization. But when they've cropped up, we've had to deal with them. They've led to crises. I mean, there's one in particular cropped up. It really cropped up in the 11th and 12th century, and then it came to a head in the early 13th century called the Albigensian crisis, which was there was this movement of people called the Albigensians who believed that the physical world was entirely evil, the spiritual world was entirely good. And so you shouldn't get married. If you're going to have sex at all, it should just be in concubinage. You know, it should just be in these kind of temporary relationships. I guess now we call that cohabitation. You should not have children. You should not do anything permanent. You should, you should just try to die off basically. That is an idea that if left unchecked will destroy civilization and very nearly destroyed Western civilization. Now we're facing a, a similar idea. It's a similar idea. It, in many ways, it's just the new version of this idea. And so are we going to deal with this seriously? Or if we start talking about it seriously, are we going to be labeled genocidal maniacs and kicked out of the public square and told, stop thinking about that? Well, the stakes are much higher than we are told. We are told that the stakes are, oh, just let anybody do whatever they want to do. Who cares? It's not hurting you. We can't, look, you don't, you don't know anything. I don't, we don't know very much. You know, maybe that woman's Asian. Maybe she just identifies as Asian. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Well, if we don't know anything, then we're, we're not going to have a civilization. We're going we're to very quickly forget the civilization that we once had. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. I have my trusty iPad. I'm speaking to the creme de la creme member segment here. We've got one last headline that Mr. Davies wanted me to get to, which I have not yet seen. Head on over to dailywire.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saved over 58,000 babies. Thank you to all who made this possible. We need to celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. She went into a preborn clinic, and after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Just 28 bucks a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears that heartbeat, it is a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together, help mothers choose life. 
to donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Preborn fundraises separately for all the administrative costs. So every dollar you give goes straight towards saving babies. Go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, and donate right now.